This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our official NRF recap. If you're a listener of Retail Remix, you know this is something we try to do every year. This year, we're actually at the show. It's towards the end of the day, so we're all a little bit loopy right now. So just a little asterisk there before we dig in. I have two very good friends, colleagues, collaborators on with me right now to share their thoughts, their takeaways, and even a little criticism, healthy criticism. Friends, why don't you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Nicole Silberstein, and I am Alicia's colleague at Retail Touchpoints, the e-commerce editor. And this is only my second time ever on the pod, so I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, you're always hiding from me every time I try to have you on. It's true, so. I do avoid it. I'm more of a words person. <laughs> Written. Well, it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm Philip Jackson. I'm the co-founder of Future Commerce, and we're a culture magazine for the commerce industry, and we are covering things like the changes in the way that people buy and belong through newsletters, you know, podcasts, and we are big fans of Retail Touchpoints and longtime collaborators with you all, and uh, so thank you for having me back on the show. I am now equal with you, Nicole. This is my second time on, too. And you were on to do the recap last year, and that was one of our top episodes, so we're going to repeat history, and it's going to be amazing. So I think the big question for us, I mean, we were talking about it briefly before we started recording, is, man, NRF is great, and it's inspiring, and it's fun, but it's also... It hurts so much. <laughs> this is my 12th NRF. Like, wow. fresh out of college, really excited to like meet people, engage in the industry. It never gets easier doing all of this. Mm. For me personally, I mean, you're on the media side now, but you do have a history in e-com yeah. and on the more like services and practitioner side. I mean, what is your take on like these types of spaces and environments? Sure. Right it's, this is my 10th year at NRF. And I heard somebody say today on the way over here, and I said, oh my gosh, I have to write that down. They said, this is burning man for corporate people. And oh, I said, wow. you know, if only if we took all of this and then burned it in effigy afterwards, it would be amazing. <laughs> um, and probably less wasteful. It'd be like a spectacle beyond just the almost, I think, I forget what the actual number was, but somebody said record attendance this year. 40,000, I think 40, people are throwing 40 around. 40-some thousand. Yeah. That's yeah. the number being floated around. That's a lot, a lot of folks. Also, I don't know if you subscribe to the memes or not. It's like, we are so back. But we are so back. And yeah. I think that's also contributing to the, like, you can't really miss any part of it. And so there is a little bit of the exhaustion comes from the lead up here, the timing of the event, the scale of the event, but also just thinking about all the work that now we have to do afterwards yes. when it's all over. I think that's it. Yeah. I think it's the future tripping a little bit because we were pretty strategic, right? I think we came into this with a goal and a plan, like myself, Nicole, Adam, our editor, we comb the agenda, we prioritize the companies, but still delegate. I think the thing about NRF is the sheer number of things pulling you in different directions. And I mean that like physically, like across and around the entire Javits Center, but also just content wise, the programming is so deep mm -hmm. that it's rare that I attend something where I'm not also missing two other things that I wish I could that you be in at the same in, yeah. time. And I think that gets a little bit exhausting. You're just trying to be everywhere at once because <laughs> there is so much 
stuff to see and hear, people to try to connect with. It's a really great event, and you really feel that buzz this year. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and then they actually extended it longer because Saturday was like a retail media day. And then they added (laughs) programming on Sunday. I don't need more. Yeah, it's just like interesting to see the evolution of these environments and these spaces because this was meant to be kind of like the catch-all for retail, like a little something for everyone. But now we're seeing these more niche and like targeted events Mm -hmm. come up as part of the big event. And it's just like a lot. It's like they're stacking upon stack upon stack upon stack. But that is something I think when you're here, you do start to feel a little bit like I wouldn't mind going to something that's a little more intimate where I can really focus, where I can really sit and think on one topic. So I can understand also the draw for some of these side projects where you really get to just focus on something. And Philip, that's something that you guys did last year, Mm. like the more off-site approach where it was more intimate and you were able to get the right people in the room, quote unquote. So I'm definitely seeing more of that this year for sure. I think one of the big stories here is that there is a bigger show around the show this year than ever Mm -hmm. before. And I'm getting that because the Shopify ecosystem has turned out in such a a large way. Partners. Mm. Shopify is induction into the NRF. So Harley Finkelstein joined the board of directors for the NRF, which was big news coming out. They've also partnered with Manhattan, mm-hmm. which was giant news coming out of Into Sunday, is they're now making the right partnerships and putting the people in the right seats. And they also have a headquarters, U.S. American headquarters with their store in Soho, mm-hmm. where they held events all week long. When you look at it from that perspective, the show around the show used to be people that did like hallway track or took meetings offsite. It is also now an entire ecosystem of people in the New York area that are Shopify aligned that are like, all my partners are here, mm-hmm. right? All my brands that I want to be in front of are here. And that also kind of takes me into the other thing that I think is really worth talking about is that this show really has been a few shows within shows for a little while. I think like mm-hmm. the supply chain side or the grocery side, like we've had little smatterings of that, mm-hmm. but the lack of an innovation lounge area and that kind of being the whole show is now the innovation stage is mm. the whole show mm. is also something that we can't lose sight of in the big narrative is that every single part of this feels radically different from three or four years ago. Right. I think that that, for me, is the thing that I did not expect coming here. No, and I think it ties to just the different sectors within retail tech that have really evolved and come to the forefront over the last year. And I think we all can agree on what those key headline technologies and (laughs) categories are. And I think the two that really rise to the top for me are retail media and AI generally. And then, of course, generative as part of that. And, you know, you can't walk down one expo booth block, so to speak, without seeing a mention of one of them. It just... Or all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Both at the same time. And, like, I'm curious, like, your thoughts, both of you, since you, you did have this balance of walking around the expo, but also having conversations with practitioners, sitting in sessions. You know, Nicole, you cover retail media quite a bit. I mean... Have there been any aha moments or notable takeaways for you that feel significantly different or elevated from the stuff that we've been talking about for like months, right? Well, I think coming in, I felt like this is going to be a proving 
point for the AI conversation. Because I don't know if you, like three years ago, we all came here, like the first one back during the pandemic, and mm -hmm. Metaverse was everywhere. Metaverse oh, was yeah. everything. It was all we talked about the whole year. And the next year's show, it was nowhere. It's still nowhere. nowhere. Yeah. Nobody's talking about it. So I was like, okay, this is it. Does it repeat? Is it, a re is it the real deal? It clearly is. It is still at the for every single conversation, it's coming up. It's ubiquitous across, I think, the show, the sessions. And so that was one thing that I really took away. The retail mm -hmm. media, I, I think there's a few other technologies that are converging at the same time. Retail media and marketplaces, I would say. Yeah, other things that we've been getting excited about for a couple of years, and they're all kind of reaching a level of maturity now and converging together with other things happening in the ad landscape that I think makes this a really interesting kind of convergence moment for mm -hmm. some of these conversations we've now been having for a couple of years. It's interesting to see the marketing and advertising side really reach this whole new level of integration to other components. So Samsung is a really great example. Like we got mm -hmm. to see different components of their booth experience and kind of walk through that whole, literally they cover that entire customer journey and different form factors. And I thought that was interesting. Like everything is sellable basically. Yeah. And there's also this ability to bring a data-driven element into the store that's not possible with just like typical science and curation content developed online. It's like interesting to see all of these marketing and advertising investments reach a whole new level of usage in the store. That to me is the most exciting takeaway from this show is the digitization of the store, like turning the store into a true digital channel. I think it's actually happening. I think we've been talking about bringing digital into store for a long time, but now I am seeing across the board applications of technologies that are letting us assess what's happening in the store and act on it in the same way we have been able to do on websites and in apps for a long time. So tracking movement and behavior in a store, using that to target then media applications in the store, even things like with electronic shelf labels, dynamic pricing mm -hmm. in store. I mean, there was a session yesterday with a Norwegian grocer who is changing their prices on their store shelves as upwards of every 15 minutes wow. to stay competitive throughout the day. That's an Amazon level tactic that is now being brought into the store. And to me, that is the most exciting kind of development. It's happening across a range of technologies and different types of retailers. Right. What about you, Philip? Uh, that just exhausts me. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> you don't find it exciting? It's, I mean, it's exciting. You don't like in ESLs? The same, <laughs> it's exciting in the same way that, like, I don't know, you know, revolutions or advancements in the speed of short form content is exciting. Is like, I think it's an eventuality that no one's going to stop, but mm -hmm. it also, I wonder if it changes the nature of how we connect with what we think. Like it is, there's no common experience left in the world. And so like, mm -hmm. think about it from my perspective. Like I think about these things like, how does commerce change culture and how does culture influence commerce? Hmm. And if we can't even agree on what the price of a product is in the store, and I guess the question would be is like, do we even know anymore? Does anyone even really look at the price? Is there price sensitivity? You could say that most of these prices are inelastic because the consumer, we sat in the economist briefing, both in the press briefing and in the CNBC uh, keynote, uh, yeah. keynote about the state of the economy and sort of the directionality of the economy and say, well, the consumer seems to be not paying attention anymore to what people are forecasting and what the economists are forecasting. It seems to be very resilient. And all of these factors give us a lot of positive feelings going into 2024. So I, maybe my perspective on dynamic pricing coming into 
into physical retail isn't the, I would say, this crisis and like segmentation and context collapse that maybe I've feared that it would be because we just don't think of things that way anymore, possibly. Mm -hmm. But every single vendor, I think this is another interesting insight, is every single vendor does have a dynamic pricing offering. It's mm -hmm. everywhere to the point that I think right now, I think vendors, because the ubiquity of offerings, and they all seem very homogenous, you're probably looking, I see brand, basically leading with brand. Yeah. Uh, in mm -hmm. fact, we visited a booth yesterday, they just underwent a rebrand. That's one of those things where leading with brand and being sort of sexy in these traditional, I would say the NRF of 10 years ago was very like cash register centric <laughs> and on-shelf pricing centric. It's like, it's all the same stuff, it just looks cooler now. And that's interesting. I would like to even maybe take it a little bit of a different direction and say that there's a, the way that the people are engaging in the booth activity, both upstairs and downstairs, I hear a lot of general vibes from vendors is saying there's a hungriness and a positivity from the attendees mm -hmm. and that they are wanting to engage in the conversation and they're right. looking to make investments and they're very yeah, discerning that about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that feels like maybe it's just pent up demand left over from a 2023 <laughs> where a recession never happened. So now people are like very interested to have real conversations with vendors and you need that for expos to exist. Or yeah. do you think, could it be a little bit of FOMO? Like people are like, ooh, I didn't move fast enough last year. I don't want to get left behind on these innovations. Mm. I think there was a study from Google saying, like they used specifically the word urgency. Like mm -hmm. this year executive 60 something percent of them feel an urgency to get generative AI into their business models. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because I know there was a press briefing this morning and Sucharita Forrester was talking about how, you know, these buying cycles on the B2B side are long. They have been getting longer. And then we've seen it ourselves with just budgets feeling more strapped. You know, there's more urgency to prove the value of these investments. So it's like kind of this tug of war that seems to be happening. There is that excitement and that, that like, oh, I want to act on this. But, you know, I'm curious what percentage or what number of people are either going to pull the trigger and actually implement these things or at least start on the path towards like what does this implementation look like for me? I, I mean we can't we can't really answer that I guess but it's I mean you can't but you you can also say there's a suspension of disbelief that is happening right now in this ecosystem around generative AI that I find really interesting. It's sort of the emperor's clothes like every single person walking around that takes an AI demo, they're all broken. Every single one of them. Not yes. a single one works. Yes, and every are. one of us are like, no, we get it. <laughs> no, we understand. No, yeah, that's going to break. That's, okay. We get that. That's that's. It's supposed to break. That's what it does. Um, that's wild. If there was an, like a marketplace or like a front-end demo that was failing three, four years ago on the show floor, it would have felt like almost catastrophic to mm -hmm. the, de the, the demo teams. Here it's like, eh, eh. You know how AI is. Yes. <laughs> and we're all just that like, yeah, no, I got AI. it. Yeah, I get it. Which I find to be. <laughs> it is impressive how we're willing to just kind of overlook the fact that a lot of these more advanced applications that they're trying to showcase, it's not working. I think it might be because there is acceptance of the fact, too, that a lot of that stuff is still a little bit further out. And a lot of the applications that are exciting are a little bit maybe less sexy and more practical right. on the content creation, on data management, that kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, all that fun stuff. <laughs> it's not love. as exciting to showcase in a booth, right? Yeah. But it is happening and people are finding success. They're also finding optimizations with it. It's just not quite as interesting to put 
right. front and yeah. center on yeah. the show floor. Like, like Salesforce was walking through their new offerings and how they're integrating generative AI into different aspects of that value, that value journey for brands and retailers. And they talked about the workflows, right? In order to optimize your generative AI investments, it needs to be fully integrated into the process, right? Like how teams collaborate, what the workflow looks like for different tasks. And then it's just like, okay, on to the next thing. <laughs> because, but, you know, I'm the one that's like, wait, so like, how do you do that? Like walk through the workflow, but like, it's like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna tell people what to do because we don't really know just yet. Yeah. People have been doing the like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain with tech for years. I, again, it does feel like some things change, right? The conversations change. Some things stay the same. So there are companies here who even the people in the booth have no idea what the offering is for AI. It's been branded within the last couple of weeks and assets were created and slapped on the booth and no one knows who's the, what the offering is, no what the sales is, there's no sales literature. Everyone feels it's the FOMO, right? Yep. It's not just the 60% of business operators feel like they don't want to get left behind. It's also the vendors are feeling like they don't want to get left behind either. You know, something mm -hmm. I'm forecasting at Future Commerce is what I'm calling a micro SaaS recession in 2024 because mm -hmm. a lot of the technology solutions that are in the downstairs of the right. Javits will be left behind because I do think that generative AI unlocks a new capability for merchants to DIY and in-house a lot of technology development that they have outsourced for the last five, six years. And so there is an existential mm -hmm. risk yeah. Yeah. for some of these. That urgency isn't necessarily <laughs> Necessarily excitement, like happy joy, uh, we can do all these things we couldn't do before. The urgency right. is also, this might be the last year that some of these companies even have an opportunity to capture any sort of meaningful demand. And you can feel that, right? Right, I, yeah. right. I think following the excitement here too at the show, I wouldn't be surprised if, there go, if we then go through a period of a little bit of disillusionment where it turns <laughs> out that even though you bought into some kind of gen AI solution because you feel like you just have to have gen AI in your life. Yeah. It turns out not to work as well as you thought because I think, and this point has been made, a number of people have reiterated it. There is some foundational stuff that has to take place for even the best gen AI tool to actually work. And the core of that yes. is data and also talent. And those things, if you don't already have them lined up, are gonna take a little while to clean up, gather your data, and hire the talent who can actually use these new, relatively yeah. new tools. Do the strategic tools. work, yeah. Get so the there might be, like, everybody's really excited, everybody wants it. I think there was an executive from Michaels who said in the last session I was in, which was technically about unified commerce, but very applicable here, he was like, mm. you cannot have the tech lead your strategy. Like, don't say, I want this tech. Say, yep. I need to do this within my business, and then what is the tech that will help me get there? And Gen AI might be the answer a lot of the times, but if you start by just saying, I need Gen AI, yeah. there's going to be some disillusionment down the line, I think. <laughs> it's so funny. I can't believe... And, like, maybe this is because, like, I'm a content strategy person. My job is strategy. Like, we're still saying, oh, you need a strategy first. Like, that's still yes. the thing. Yes, It's wild to me. We also need, like, an actual, like way to measure whether it's been successful right. too. So that requires yeah. some metrics, some goals that are tied to larger business results as opposed to just PR. Right? And alignment around yeah. those things versus we launched a thing. Yeah. What does the thing do? I don't know. It's going to do everything. <laughs> everything. It's going to answer nothing. all of your problems. So the follow-up question is, what wasn't here? Like, what was missing? Like, any glaring holes? I mean, both in the, we talked about Metaverse, obviously, but yeah. anything else in the agenda, in the expo, anything that you were like, huh, where did that go? I have a hot take here. I'm going to put myself out there. 
and you can roll this clip back in 2025 and laugh at me for it. I think that we'll look back and say, wow, that was the time before the Vision Pro launch really changed a lot of people's perspective on what immersive experiences are going to be like. Mm -hmm. And next year, the show will look completely different and more indexed toward that because I think a new hype cycle is beginning. I think headset devices kind of had their fad and came in and out of fad and fashion here many, many years ago. But the fact that it's so absent, Meta for Work is really the only place that has a headset activation at the moment, like a VR activation. It's not even a commerce-centric activation, if I can be critical a bit. It is an HVAC learning, like field ops mm -hmm. training program that they're demoing. I think, and you know, again, like what's not here, I think that the idea of what does immersive experiential look like in a world where we have the Vegas sphere and we have on one end of the macro scale and we have the Vision Pro on the other end of the personal scale. Something in between there is applicable for retail, and I mm -hmm. think that is not represented here, and it should be, it will be in the years to come, because I think that the consumer is going to, I think, the consumer is going to have a brand new appreciation or a brand new media consumption device in the next couple of years. So right. obviously commerce makes those types of things into a new channel. I say this a lot in all of our media, but it's telling that the Apple Vision Pro announcement the very first use case outside of meditation that they showed was a Safari browser in your living room mm -hmm. shopping a commerce website. So like commerce makes a new product or channel viable and gives people real world use cases. So I feel like it's interesting seeing that that's not present in the same way that Metaverse, it's interesting to notice that Metaverse isn't present, but I think that we'll look back next year and say, wow, that was right before the next hype cycle exploded. Right, um, right. But that's not to say like, well, what should be here? I think a lot of things have died off. Yeah. Well, to piggyback on that, I think the thing that I'm missing here is excitement and ideas around what the e-commerce experience, like where that is evolving, e-commerce specifically. Right. I think that the focus is very clearly very much on like the store environment and tying the two together. And I think it is going to look like what you're talking about. And I think right. we're not going to use the word metaverse because I think we just overdid it with that. And <laughs> yeah. I think it will be something along the lines of what you're saying though, immersive commerce, mm -hmm. where we do, I, there will be a push eventually where we start to focus back in on digital specifically to move outside of the grid 2D environment and yeah. make it more immersive. I don't think all that, everything we talked about with the metaverse wasn't a waste. I don't think it's all going away. I just think it's going to, we're going to shift the conversation, maybe use a different word. Yeah, I think it's being reframed. I think it had <clears throat> yeah. a really big branding problem. Yes. And I think everybody tried I to hijack it. I think we can it. blame Mark Zuckerberg yeah. for that. <laughs> we can blame him for everything. <laughs> Gestures broadly. Um, <laughs> That's I, actually the one time I did not gesture broadly. <laughs> That's usually my brand. I, can, I, I, can I jump on a couple things there too? Yeah. I feel like there's a opportunity for, to your point, Nicole, that having this reframing what digital experiences really should be at their core basic level. Never discount the fact that boredom is really what drives people to make decisions around mm -hmm. changing things. Here's a great anecdote. When I was growing up, my mom loved to move the furniture around mm, in our house. Yes. I don't know if you had a mom that yep. moved furniture around. My mom moved the furniture around all the time. 
And just because she got bored, for no other reason than she just wants to move things around. I think a lot of people do that in the digital space too. Your job is to move things around on your website. And at some point you're like, there's literally no other places to be moving things around. We need to try something new. Maybe it's not metaverse, maybe it's not like full 3D visualization, but it's something that's two and a half D mm -hmm. where there are experiences that look a lot more like Shop Drake's pad where there yeah. are more gamified experiences. I'll tell you one signal to look at for that is don't count the metaverse out or whatever it's called next. Roblox will be launching. I was going to say, um, I'm, I'm missing that here. There, that's yeah. not here. Like, yeah. That's something that we'll see in the future too is I think the more of those type of immersive gaming businesses yep. need to have a footprint here because they become much more commerce viable. Mm -hmm. Roblox is launching real world commerce this year. You'll be able to buy physical goods like it's a website mm -hmm. in Roblox. Yep. That is a thing that will change the game and give people a new modality as well too. That, there's yeah. a new channel and probably a new retail media network. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. And like let's be clear, like Obsess is at the show and like yeah. they're obviously one of the, the key players in like that virtual e-commerce, you know, world building type experience for a brand specifically. So Roblox is missing, but also just gaming platforms in general. And this kind of veers into the world of our sister brand advertising week, but gaming platforms and gaming communities as a marketing and community building tool. Mm -hmm. And as we think about like the broader context of how consumers, especially younger consumers, are spending their time developing their identity, amplifying their identity, engaging with each other, it's gaming. Well, and, and maybe that is to what this next level of immersive digital commerce looks like is not the creation of a wholly new platform, but the right. integration of commerce into Extensions, digital yeah. platforms that consumers are already immersively involved in. So in their gaming environments, in their social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another thing that didn't come up very much. I was going to say, I was going to bring that up. Social, social commerce. Social commerce. Yeah. <laughs> and like live streaming. Thank God. Live streaming, <laughs> you know, I did Rude. attend a session on live yes, streaming, you but yeah. you want to know what? I really think it's all just going to be about TV. Like, yep. nobody cares anymore about just going to watch something live on like a random website or even on a social media platform, but people are super excited about being able to buy where I they're already the watching live content. TV. I honestly think we might just skip over the whole like live streaming thing in America and move straight into television-based product placement commerce. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. that the PacSun session? No, it was no. a different one. It was Roku Fanatics. Well, that's and telling HSN. it of itself. And Roku, Roku being a player in that discussion. I mean, Roku, they're one of the leaders right yeah, now, Roku I would is say, the vehicle. Right. Yeah. They're being embedded into all of these TVs. They're the enabler for all of these like CTV type experiences. And they have some very compelling partnerships that are bringing content and commerce together. And Philip, you did a really great episode talking about the Walmart holiday series and all of that and like it, it leaves me like it gets my brain spinning about the possibilities of like what are these more contextual and like content driven experiences look like i feel like we barely scratched the surface of that this year oh yeah yeah the more things change though the more things stay the same too when was the last time we got to talk about a new e-commerce platform launching and fedex mm. is rebranding shoprunner as fdx that was news yeah. this week. Um, yeah, we cover that. I went over to the FedEx booth and nobody knows anything about it. So that's, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I, I, I do think there's a fun opportunity around the, just the, on the shoppable side, coming back to that, 
native content that's meant to be shopped is its own challenge that has this really tough intersection. It's like a Venn diagram of all the world's hardest things because mm -hmm. you have to manage the merchandising, the visual merchandising of the show happens before you actually have it available to shop the content. Then you have visual merchandising of the store, the store integration into the show itself. And then there's the balance of like actually having engaging content that keeps people there for a specific purpose. Walmart did a great job on that. Yeah. And I would love to have seen Walmart's presence at NRF be much more around, and we can around help that. you create more content. Yeah. That is like the future of entertainment really is shopping-centric content, but it doesn't, it looks a lot more like this rom-commerce test that they did than it does, hey, we're just going, you know. Then HSN. Right. Yeah, exactly. that someone walking through how to style a product. Yeah, it's just like in context. It's in the frame, so to speak. And we're bored. I think people get bored. Again, coming back to that idea is most of the content creators in live commerce are not entertainers, right? Mm -hmm. They have a commercial incentive to be having this conversation with you. And that is the reason for them to be on there. And when those incentives go away, right, when the incentivized portion of the platform goes away and people get bored and they move on, what is left, like, it's going to come back to prestige content. It's going to come back to content that's like native to the platform that you're watching it on. I'm excited for that. I yeah. think that's great. Yeah. Is there anything else we're excited about? I mean, it's the last day of NRF. I'm not excited you know about what? much. I want to know why. I want to go, go back to something. <laughs> when we were talking about the dynamic pricing, and you mentioned the loss of a common experience. Yeah. Because another thing mm -hmm. that a lot of these technologies are driving, and Gen AI will drive, the increase in really truly being able to personalize things at almost every level of the shopping experience. Yep. But when you said that, I was like, is that actually a loss culturally for us though? If even things, when we go into a store, we all have a different, unique, algorithmically defined experience for our real world experiences. Do we lose out on something that was essentially you know, important? Depends on what role you think commerce plays in a society. So this is actually our big thesis is, I think that commerce is culture. Mm -hmm. In the same mm -hmm. way that food is culture. And the way that we express commerce as a culture is really important. And if we can't share that together, I think e-commerce definitely fragments some of that. Personalization takes that further away from us. But the like physical manifestation of Nicole's brand, Alicia's brand, Philip's brand, their view of these brands like your Walmart, my Walmart are very different things. Like, right. And maybe one day visibly different and merchandise different to where I have no way to replicate that experience. I believe that becomes a point of friction from us being able to understand each other. How do I make a recommendation to you? Oh, I got this on sale. Oh, it's mm -hmm. on sale at Walmart right now. Here's a great experience is I still, to this day, <laughs> I was like really into, it's January. I'm sure a lot of people made resolutions. A few Januarys ago, I got on the MyFitnessPal and I was food oh, journaling. Yes. And I was like live blogging my experience, right? And I was like, you guys, <laughs> Halo Top is <laughs> the Halo greatest Top. thing ever. I was really into Halo Top. And I kind of had this like stand moment for Halo Top for like a six month Hold period. On. Pause. I don't know what that is. It's an ice cream that is... It has like protein in it? It's like a protein laden yeah. ice cream, better for you ice cream that 
the whole pint is 320 calories. And it's like fun flavors. And yeah. tastes good? I mean, legitimately, it's Define good. good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does not taste good enough <laughs> when, when you're starving and sad. It's yeah. like it's like in the Friends good. episode. Like, are you on to are you on the Halo Top or are you on to the good ice yeah, cream? Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, got it. Thank it, you. Uh, Halo Top. I would not even say really can even. Cla- it's like frozen dessert. You can't call it ice cream. A frozen okay. treat. Right. It does feel like an indulgence, right? But I kind of made my whole persona about Halo Top for a minute, and to this day, six seven years later, I still have people that will randomly text me it's bogo at walmart halo tops <laughs> oh bogo they my gosh. know it's following <laughs> they know that i was like all about that and i have to wonder like i'm gonna lose track of those friends when their bogo is not my bogo <laughs> but God, i'm an old man you know don't listen to me the next next for me because we're about i'm future commerce i'm like thinking what does nrf 10 years from now look like yeah i do think there's a commerce experience that doesn't exist yet where If that persists, let's say there is a future where you have offers that are just yours and can no longer, is no longer my offer because you're a fundamentally different person and your behavior in the world is driving your experiences. There is an opportunity in that for you to give me access to your algorithms and your offers. I want to see the world through your lens. And I think that that is the next layer of like sort of this meta commerce of the things that are unique to me, like an offer is something that it has commercial value to someone who values it. So that could be an interesting like future futurist thought process around maybe we gain something else as we lose cultural context, as we lose the fact that my store doesn't have the same pricing, you know, every 15 minutes, (laughs) maybe we gain something else in the process is the ability to turn that into an element of personal gain. Or maybe we're, we become much more conscious of our behaviors as people Mm -hmm. so that we can have the outcome and the pricing that we want, which is kind of how I behave on Spotify and TikTok. Like, I don't want to look on that video for too long because it's going to give me more of them. I don't want to listen to, you know, your freaking baby shark one more time (laughs) because it's going to ruin my algorithm on Spotify. Maybe just those behaviors of abstaining from certain types of other behaviors because they change the way that our world experiences are formed. Like, maybe we just become more cognizant of that and become more protective of those algorithms. But you can cut all that from the main show (laughs) too, right? That's just thinking... (laughs) And become more aware of, like, how these things work, which I think has been happening year over year. Like, not just we, like, the three of us, because we cover the industry and we're engaged in it. I know people, my friends, my family, they know what's happening. They understand how these things work. So, you know, who knows how that whole sector will evolve. But, Nicole, how about you? Anything you're excited about over the next year, five years, I think we touched on everything I'm excited. I'm really excited about seeing the store become more of a digital surface, although Philip has kind of scared me Sorry. for the future of humanity in that regard. <laughs> Just but I'm still excited to see it happen, you know, before the fall. Gaming commerce, like commerce yep. moving into the, basically commerce moving into non- like endemic environments, mm-hmm. so into gaming environments, onto televisions in a way that's really frictionless. That's the kind of stuff I'm excited about. So basically the expansion of the commerce ecosystem mm-hmm. where maybe it's not even, there's no commerce specific space because you yeah. can just shop everywhere mm-hmm. eventually. One final component, and I think that ties nicely to that, is this idea that's bubbling up now of the product as media. So there's a company, Eon, that does, you know, digital ID for products. QR code base, very simple, but I know I've seen and heard of use cases through RFID, which 
hey, props to RFID. You're still here, man. Like, proud of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the whole premise is that rather than having the screens and having the digital platforms to tell the stories, the product tells the story, right? You just scan the QR code and it unlocks all of this content and storytelling that ties to how the product is sourced, how the product is created, the history or heritage of the brand and the product. The and resale. The resale right. value, it all kind of ties together into this end-to-end -end, you know, life cycle of the product. And I think, of course, that ties to consumers' desire to understand how things are made, the environmental impact of the thing, even to validate that it is, you know, a real Gucci bag, for instance. But the opportunities from a branding and storytelling standpoint, I think we're only scratching the surface of that. And being able to use it to unlock supporting content, or Eon had a partnership with Balenciaga, like, you scan the, the tag and you get an exclusive music track, right? Like, what are those opportunities to create that aha moment that's connected to not just the brand, but the product itself? So, to be determined. I did walk by a, this just popped up <laughs> in my notes. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to talk about that. The nature of locked cabinet retail. Oh, this, yes. Um, lockers. A yeah. few of these lockers are downstairs, and I saw a few of them. A couple are using them almost as like the physical manifestation of the website pop up. It's like you can have your deodorant if you put your email address in here, oh, you know? No. And that scares the living oh, daylights yeah. out so, of me. Security. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's not even I mean, it's like it's faux or security. It? It's really just uh, we're gating access now to yeah. physical products because the gate access had a moment where it was maybe necessary or maybe it was mm -hmm. a storyline for a retailer who, for whatever reason, has employed them. They may be here to stay because it may be like submitting to a marketing oh, motion. Oh, I see where we're it. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, there's is, a way to commercialize it now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. Oof, you, yeah. I don't like that. And put some digital like property on consumer. it. Lockers as media. You know, that reminds me of another thing that I forgot to mention too, mm -hmm. which is publishers and the publishing industry. Ooh, I think point. that we're ready yep. for, again, to the commerce moving into everything. I think there's going to be a big paradigm shift in that industry away from the affiliate marketing model. And I think what Hearst is doing on that end is going to be really interesting to watch unfold with their marketplace. I mean, they're basically just going to start selling stuff themselves instead yeah. of linking out to other people's websites. And that could be a really big shift for that industry as well as commerce mm -hmm. opportunities. Awesome. Oh, so. yeah. well, so, content to commerce again? We did yes. that 12 years ago. I'm so excited. But in a new way. I love it. New way. <laughs> Can't wait. And commerce is everywhere. I mean, neither one's going away. It's just yeah. different ways to interact, That's I true. guess, yeah. bring it together. Well, and maybe how community comes into play, too. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting, guys. Open forum. Did we miss anything? I'll say that a different way. Miss anything? Um, <laughs> oh, no. I'm glad I didn't miss the look on your face when we saw so many solo stoves on the <laughs> on the show floor. I think there was like a, a, just, it was walking around with you. I saw it through new eyes. I was so excited. What about the Stanley Cups? We didn't talk about those. Everybody was like, you know. Oh, were there Stanley Cups here? Well, just people walking around oh. with them. It's oh, like, it's yeah. like a status symbol all of a That's sudden. Right. Yeah. Anybody who had one brought it and lugged it with them everywhere on the show floor. I saw two Stanley Cups. They have accessories now. So one, <laughs> oh, yes, a strap. One had and you get a, a like a fanny pack. <laughs> yeah. And this other person, I, I swear to you, I a swear to you, a wallet attachment. It was a little snack tray that went around yes, the top. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. And they have like the, it's like girl the dinner yes. around the. 
They're walking around with things we don't need. Oh, and the little straw toppers that are like little little emojis. Genius. It's a vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I can live without it. I just want to drink my water. (laughs) I just want water. (laughs) Where's my Hydra homies? I need them. Oh, gosh. Uh, Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time out. As you all can tell, we're, again, falling off the cliff. We're a little loopy, but I think we got some valuable takeaways and I think some ideas of what we should be on the lookout for over the next year. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Alicia. And uh, if we missed anything, folks, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line, leave us a rating or a review on your preferred podcast player. Find us on LinkedIn, tag us, leave us nasty comments, send us a solo stove, whatever you want to do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm giving up smoke. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.